Welcome to Let's Talk Innovation. This is the final episode of a four-part podcast series from ING that delves into innovation strategy and innovation trends both inside and outside the financial sector. In other words, we're all about fintech or financial technology. My name is Jonathan Gruber, and we're calling this fourth episode Why Fintechs Matter. I have two major players in the field to help me answer this question. Jan Willem Neuhausen. Managing Director at ING Ventures. Hello, Jan Willem. Hi, good morning, Jonathan. And Lupina Inturiaga, CEO and founder of Fintonic. Hello, Lupina. Good morning. Hello, Jonathan. Did I say both parts of your name correctly just now? Uh, Very yes, well. almost, almost. Iturriaga, but it's a bit hard, so don't Iturriaga. worry. Iturriaga. <laughs> yes, yes, but okay. don't worry. <laughs> Hello to both of you, by the way. Let's start with Jan Willem. You are Managing Director at ING Ventures. Can you tell me a bit about your background and how one gets a position like that? Sure. And uh, thanks for having us. So I started my career back in 2007 with uh, with ING. Before that, I was in M&A, actually, but I quickly learned uh, there after a couple of years that in an uh, M&A transaction, I actually was more interested in the part after the deal. So what happens to the two businesses that merge or one that buys the other? Um, but as an M&A advisor, you're an agent, so you, you know, you're know you gone after the deal is closed. So I moved into investments with ING that had a corporate investments team, which you'd call probably in other banks the principal investments team. So they were doing investments into companies that had a special funding need by, for example, taking a minority stake in them and, and uh, in exchange for uh, for money, of course, with which the, the company could, uh, could reach its uh, funding target. Um, it were private equity style transactions, uh, but there were some proverbial exceptions to, to the rule um, in the sense that they also had a couple of venture venture stage companies in the portfolio, most of which were under my belt. So my colleagues always jokingly used to say that I had, uh, in their in their perspective, an uh, unhealthy appetite for venture capital, which was totally true because I'm intrigued by technology companies. I love technology and I'm generally technology optimist. You know, I tend to think that technology is going to make the world a better place. So I, in 2016, I got started to uh, talking to Benoit, Benoit Legrand, who is um, our chief innovation officer and who at that point was um, starting to think about doing direct investments into startups that have a technology that is relevant for ING, call it fintech companies. Um, so I was very intrigued and one thing led to the other. And a year later, um, Benoit went with a proposal to the management board of ING to set up what is now ING Ventures, so which is essentially the corporate venture capital arm of ING. And we built it from there. So we got approval to do it. And the fun part is it was an unprecedented activity in the bank. You know, and nobody had ever done this before within a bank. Uh, or, or within this bank at least. Um, and many people said, but oh, you know, you have to have the policies and procedures in place that will take you two years to set it up. But we actually just set it up as we went. So the way we set it up was basically as a startup within a corporate, which was a lot of fun. I'm still very grateful to be part of that. That was uh, amazingly concise. Do you find yourself explaining yourself a lot? Uh, yeah, probably, yes. I get that a lot. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. And again, let me just ask you this very quickly. Uh, you said you're created a startup within a corporate mm -hmm. is that could uh, that that seems like within the organization itself you probably find yourself trying to say why you exist maybe justifying yep. your maybe justifying why you guys speed ahead a little faster than other people in in the bank itself although maybe not too fast which we'll talk about yeah indeed indeed right you. um and uh, lupina where are you yeah. exactly physically I am in Madrid, Spain, physically. Right. And your company, Fintonic, is kind of a success story with investment from ING, right? 
Yeah, that's true. So let's yeah. talk about Fintonic. Why don't you give me the quick description? Okay, well, in Fintonic right now we have over 1 million active users in Spain, Mexico and Chile. And this is a mobile app that helps you to better understand your money because you have everything organized and you understand where your money goes. Market, car, food. But from the very beginning, it will send you alerts if something goes wrong, if you have a duplicate charge, if you are paying fees or commissions. And from the very beginning, it will help you to save money because it will tell you if you are overpaying in your receipt, in your insurance, in your telco, in your energy receipt and will do the switching for you within the same companies in, or in other companies so you will save a lot of money. And Fintoni will always give you your credit score so you will understand if you are good or bad for the banks, which is your API, which is your interest if you are going to apply for a loan. And then if you need a loan, you have a marketplace for loans so you can get a loan in less than two minutes. And now... That is great. We are launching a, a card and an account that is that we are going to be pioneer with, with this product also. And who exactly are your customers? Uh, our customers are, they are not companies. They are just, uh, we are a B2C company. So right. all the people to help them with their own finance, uh, to solve them and to make better informed decisions. So this is really all about the consumer at large. Yes, it is. So how did you come up with this idea? Well, uh, in 2012, myself and Sergio Chalbo, my co-founder, we thought uh, that in Spain uh, we didn't have a solution to help the people uh, to save money and to better organize it. And we were in a huge crisis here in Spain on that moment, right now again, but on that moment was really, really uh, severe. And, uh, it's a, it's a different kind of crisis, if you will. Yes, it was. Uh, this one is conjunctural, and that one was structural. We have uh, here a huge problem with banks and well, with everything. So we decided that it was the moment to help the people because we saw there was a huge pain. The people didn't know where the money. Um, for example, in my case, I have a banking background, and my husband is financial director, and we were like fighting. Uh, where the money goes? I don't know. Why are you in overdraft? It was like a mess. To, <laughs> yes, it was real to have everything under control it was a huge mess so we decided to help the people in this way so really well, so in, in a sense you were like well if people like us are having trouble keeping up with all of this think about other people because you guys were banking financial professionals Yes, and um, we had a, yes, a lot of issues <laughs> ourselves. And also, from that moment, we knew that we couldn't develop a marketplace. We have it in our strategy, but we couldn't develop it because we didn't have the users and we didn't have also the the banks or insurance companies connected on that moment. But we knew that here in Spain, only with this organization functionality, that to have everything organized, to have everything under control, to be you, the person that controls your bank or your insurance company, was really great because the people didn't know how many fees they were paying. They didn't know if their insurance was more expensive than their neighbors. So just with this alert system telling them if they were overpaying, it was really, really huge. That's amazing. And and it sounds to me like the germination of the idea was you just being fed up with trying to figure it all out. 
that it was that it was confusing yeah. and you wanted to create order. Yes, because on the past, Sergio and myself, we were working always for banks or, or in a bank. So we were not like aligned with the users. <laughs> we decided that we didn't want to build more products for, for banks per se, but for the users, for the finance people, yes. And when did you launch? In December 2012. And you already have a million users? Active, yes. Yes, yes. Active users. That's amazing. So I think I kind of already have an answer to this question to a certain extent, but let me just ask it to you, Lupina. What is the added value of a speedy fintech company compared to, say, a regular bank? Well... I believe we have a different approach to solving financial needs. We are faster because we don't have any legacy at all. As bear in mind that the, all the banks, they, they are huge and they have all their branches and they have all this technology built many years ago. So as we are like few people, everything is digitalized. We can like go straight to launch a product like in weeks or months, like in very short term periods. And that's not the case in in a bank right now and and perhaps it's stating the obvious but what's the disadvantage of being a startup like you well as you know the huge banks have their own brand built for many many years and they have uh, several or millions no, of clients so for them to approach people is much more easy we have to create in from our case we did need to create a, a brand from the very beginning no one knew what Fintonic was, but also no one knew our service. It didn't exist. So to create a new product from scratch and to make the people feel that they need it because you like you couldn't go to Google and find a description of Fintonic. No? I need right, yeah. someone, no? Some, someone uh, that organized my money. It wasn't the case. So... Well, to create something from scratch, it takes also time to create your brand and to build the necessity on, on the users, of course. Right, you were baking a delicious fintech cake from scratch. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you, in fact, you were inventing the recipe. <laughs> right, yeah. So with an organization like Lupina's Jan Willem, uh, what's interesting for for somebody from a big bank like ING looking at her company and thinking, this is something we need to invest in? Yep. So <clears throat> when we look at um, Fintonic, we see actually many things that ING would want to do or be itself. I mean, you, you only have to go to the um, investor relations uh, section of ING's website uh, where you can read a lot on, uh, on, on our strategy and, and their strategy presentations there. And many of them will talk about becoming a platform or becoming active on the platform of others and helping our own clients with products that and services that not are not even necessarily our own, but in any, uh, because maybe the best fitting financial service or product is something that we don't have in our store, but we do know somebody else who has it. And when you look at Fintonic, this is exactly what they do. So they have a very user central approach where they say, we just want to get the best to our users that is available in the market. Could be from our own, from our own shop, but not necessarily. So they also have this marketplace connected to it. And this is, uh, yeah, you know, for us, a sort of a dot on the horizon where we would like ING to get to. But as Lupina said, we have, you know, we are a very big organization. Um, we have the legacy and, and, and people often refer to that as te technological legacy 
legacy, but it's also culture. You know, and we, you, you talked in one of the earlier podcasts about you don't you don't change your religion you know overnight. You, I heard you say, I like that expression. And in a big corporate, it's it's you know culture is 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 a corporate culture, not a startup culture. So thing you know decision making takes longer, but also the stakes are a lot bigger. So it's um, it, it's less agile than a fintech is. And because of the fact that Fintonic is very agile, they can experiment very quickly with putting new products and, and, and in the market and, and experimenting with a new um, a new approach of getting to the consumer. And this is something that we can learn from. Does ING need to make profit out of this? Is, is that the idea, the ultimate aim for you guys, other than helping the consumer and making it easier and you know using all the, the things that they can do, the fast approach to things? Do you need to make money? From from the investment in Fintonic, you yes. mean? Yes. Uh, absolutely, because you know, there's hardly anything strategic about investing in something that isn't successful financially. Right. And um, Lupina also mentioned that uh, a bank's legacy is a big issue. Why, why is this such a problem, do you think? I think this particularly touches on the um, technological legacy. So we are a, a you know an organization that has uh, come together through several mergers. We have been building systems that in, in, in the 90s, in the early 2000s that are still in use. So an example is in, in, if you are a client of ING in the Netherlands and you go into your banking app, you will not be able to see your mortgage. You can if you go online, in, or online in the sense that through the web portal. That is being worked on, and within a couple of months, that will be deployed. And when you hear this, you may say, "Hey, that's silly, you know? Why is that such a big thing?" But it's it's really about in the background tying together systems that are currently separate, and there's no easy tinkering with systems in which you keep the financial data for millions of people. So it's like, uh, you know, in the, to take an analogy, it's like uh, fixing a plane or changing parts on a plane in full flight with passengers in it. So there's zero tolerance for uh, for any error, which means that yeah, you have to take it very slowly and, and test it, etc. So before you can deploy a new feature, it uh, takes you a lot longer than we, when you are able to start from scratch, as these fintechs do. It sounds very frustrating, Jan Willem, is it? There's a lot of push and pull and block and tackle in that. Yeah. Absolutely. And let's talk a bit about what fintech companies get out of working with big, slow, legacy-laden banks that have software from the 90s. I mean, certainly I know you guys need investment, but what else is in it for you? Well, for us, there's a lot, no? We were really lucky when we were raising funds because we had the possibility to decide among different companies. But we we really decide, Angie, not just because of the funding, of course, but because of the knowledge, because of the team, because all the possibilities that we had ahead in terms of business, we thought that we were going to develop together. I am really, really happy no, with, with Jan Billing and with our team because all their vision is very aligned with our vision of what's going to happen. And they challenge us, they help us, and they can introduce us to any person in their, within their own company so they can solve many doubts or give us different possibilities or way of doing things. So, well, Can you I give me an example? You, I think we need an example here to really understand what you mean. For example, when, I don't know, maybe this is boring for the audience, but maybe if you are going to talk about AML, like money laundering or wherever, of course, they have their own story, so they know how to deal with, with this. They know uh, that you have to be very on top of this and how to do it, and, and then it saves you like lots of months or uh, to deal it yourself no, within your company because you don't have to learn everything again from scratch. They know it so they can share it with you. That's, that's really important, I believe. And they have done that? They've shared that kind of stuff with you? 
Yes, of course, of course. They, they, whenever we need them uh, to share knowledge, uh, we, I, I don't know, Jambil can tell you, but we've been talking with uh, all the departments in ING, not just just in Spain, but ING group globally. So from Poland, people from Poland, from everywhere. With I've been like um, seeing what is their uh, own own last uh, developments that they're going to launch with different uh, persons in the team and I've been in the discussing why that was good or bad uh, so yes it, it's been great a great journey together sounds like ING is on your speed dial yes yes it is it is because they understand no <laughs> You know, I, I really, I, I really, really, I really have to say it, no? And and they know it. Jan Billen has helped us more than anybody I can remember, and that's true, no? With his knowledge and open minds, uh, he's trying to help us all the time, and that's not normal. I must say to other entrepreneurs, that's not the, the rule, and so we could keep on going really fast um, with ING has been really smooth, really. Just between you and me, Lupina, Jan Willem is blushing. Yes, he's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true, it's true, and I have to tell it, and if any in ING heard it, is uh, Jan Willem has really, really helped us more than anybody, yes. And, I, I, you know, uh, Jan Willem, I actually think I asked you this question already, but I'm going to ask you it again now that you've heard Lupina say what she was saying. What do you guys get out of working with a company like hers? What's what's really in it for you guys? We are looking at Fintonic as a as, as a, a version 2.0 of what ING is today. So many startups are doing very interesting stuff. The question often, however, is can we scale this to a level that it can also apply to ING? And Fintonic, I wouldn't even, you know, I, I shouldn't even call Fintonic a startup anymore because indeed they are now having a million active users, which means active users, you know, people who's, you know, who are daily active on the platform. That is a scale that you could ex extrapolate to a bank like us. So we have 38 million customers worldwide. That means that what Fintonic does can be applied at scale, which is a big difference from you know, many of the startup interesting ideas that you get to look at. This is something that, that you know, IEG could be like this. Right. Maybe one day or very one soon. Day. Correct me if I'm wrong. The idea of creating something like ING Ventures is an idea of sort of getting around the known limitations of working within a company like that. Is, is that how you see it? Yeah. So we are one of the tools in the toolbox of the innovation space within ING. So you know, you've talked to other colleagues of mine, but and, and, and we are complementary to what they do. So we are complementary to the ING labs and the fintech partnerships teams. And we invest in companies, so third parties, so uh, companies outside of ING that for whatever reason we think are doing something that is of interest to ING which may be really ahead in the future. So we literally are there to venture ahead of where the business is today. So where the business needs to focus on, on, on the here and now and, and the not too distant future, we should think about where should ING be in five years or even in 10 years? Where is this market going? And we place bets, you know, and to use a popular word, on companies where we say no, what they are doing is going to be strategically relevant for ING within this time frame, so five to ten years indeed. That uh, plays very handily into my next question, which is, I guess lots of banks make investments in new companies hoping that they will indeed pay off in five years down the line, ten years down the line. Is there something, though, about the way ING works 
in its investing in fintech startups that is somehow distinct from your competitors? So we spend a lot of time when we set up ING Ventures thinking about how to operate. So we actually, we talk to consultants, we talk to many other corporate venture capital teams, also from other industries, by the way, particularly in the, in the United States, corporate venture capital is a lot older than it is in Europe. And uh, companies in many different industries have uh, arms like us, so venture capital arms. Uh, and one thing that we learned is you have to be as agile as you can in the way you operate and you set up your own governance. So I th I'd like to think that one thing that distinguishes us is that we have a very flat governance. We can take investment decisions um, in a, a quite quite fast. We have a setup where within our own team we can do most of the investments that we are looking at so and, and, and execute on them. And when we uh, go beyond a certain threshold, we involve two of the members of the management board in ING. Um, Meaning when you want to ask us when you need a certain amount of money. Indeed. That's indeed. the threshold is the money, yes? The threshold Okay. money okay. and the, the financial exposure we're still a bank of course and yes, that's how yes. we operate sure but not too many layers and not not too many people from 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 different spaces who may not be used to looking at venture type of investments and is that different from your competitors your yeah, competitors I see are they, yeah yeah i yeah? see i see competitors sometimes apply indeed an investment committee with people from many different parts of the bank we tried that actually in, in in the beginning, but the feedback that these people gave us is, please don't ask us to look at things that we are not used to looking at. <laughs> I, I might never, <laughs> I might never be comfortable with an investment at all. <laughs> I'd like to say that we are quite lean and mean. And another factor is that we are really investing from uh, looking for a strategic rationale to invest, and and we try to validate this as much as we can by talking to people inside the bank from the relevant uh, parts of the business. Yet we do try to be thought leaders, so we. We don't invest in things that the business has already found or is even maybe already a client of, which financially speaking is the less riskier approach and maybe you know the more savvy one if you're just looking for financial return but we are there to bring new ideas to the bank and and, and maybe we'll get it wrong sometimes maybe we'll invest in things that are and, and that might even be very successful but the, the business is taking another turn can you give me an example of when things went wrong that also was literally my next question i had it written down right here wow it's, uh, wow. Um, it's almost as if i knew you would be asking this question <laughs> <laughs> um, we still have a quite young portfolio, so I don't have you know skeletons in the closet yet. Uh, statistically speaking, accidents will happen. You know, businesses will fail in venture capital. The majority of the companies that a VC invests in, uh, you know, will not be successful or or just barely successful. And, and you're looking for the ones that that, that knock the ball out of the stadium, to use an uh, American expression, I guess. You know, some companies are definitely struggling. COVID-19 is affecting many companies, particularly in the uh, B2C space that may create a you know shakeout in the entire industry so you know for sure there will be companies also in our portfolio that will not go well at so, some point so to summarize what i think you said is actually we're new at this so we don't have all that many failures but you're expecting them yes it's inevitable uh, it, it, it's inevitable we always and and it sounds a bit reassuring, but we always say to each other, if there's no failures in the portfolio, you've probably not been venturing enough. You've probably stayed, you know, not have taken enough risk. Right. Lupina, what are the challenges of working with ING? Well, I believe a big corporate, uh, it has certain expectations and certain standards before they can work with, with a startup. And for a startup, that can sometimes be challenging, not to keep up with or to have the stamina, to wait for the corporate sales cycle, as I will call it. No, Sometimes when you are in a startup, and you can't take decisions instantly, like you really can't launch a product in 
two months. Uh, it's, it's really, really fast, the cycle. You wonder many times why things have to take weeks or even months even before they get them, no, in a large corporate. And Has that happened uh, recently? Because I got Jan Willem here in the room. You can just let him have it right now. <laughs> Why is no, it taking no. so long, Jan Willem? She's ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's actually, as Lupina referred to, the corporate sales cycle. So decision-making in a corporate, it's, 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 you know, many people are involved. And it's often about things like, is this the direction we want to go? Is this about cannibalization? So there's, there's all the, um, the standard questions that are being asked before a decision is taken. Well, there you go, Lupina. A description of bureaucracy. That's, yeah. that's how that works. So, so my question to you is, because I'm sure that you knew that answer already, how do you make this work? Well, for us, for example, but I'm not going just to talk with for, for ING, no, in that case, for you know, we have created a marketplace. Yeah. And we have this chicken and the egg problem, no? First, you need to get the users until banks or insurance companies are, like, willing to, to come, no, to, to the marketplace. But just to launch one, one company, no, like one big bank, or just to be in the marketplace, it takes not like months, it takes years because they have to rely on your own, know your customer because you do it on their behalf. So, of course, they have to audit it, but it takes really long. So for us, just to create the marketplace until all the pieces have assembled together, it took time. So to do things in a proper way, in a solid way, it takes time and Sometimes you cannot rush things because because it won't work, no? Because if you want a, a marketplace in that case or an insurance marketplace, you need the client, but you also you need all the insurance company to be within the marketplace. And you need to go one by one. You need to talk with them. So it takes time, but once you have done it, then it's a huge entry barrier for, for others because for the next players, it would also take time because they need to rely on the following marketplace that they will be launching. So, so are you saying I, to I me that you're just, that you're used to this? Yes, I am used to <laughs> And we understand it. <laughs> right, you understand it, you have the mindset, you understand the people who you're working with, and you're also just like they are, if I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly, thinking also ahead in terms of years, not quarters, yeah. but years. Yes, yes, of course. Within Fintonic, we really believe in solid unit economics. We, maybe we are a strength, I don't know, a strength fintech company, but we believe in solid economy, uh, economies. We want to be break-even in the following months, and that's not the case of the most of the fintech companies or challenges banks that we are competing with because we know the things uh, has to be done in in their pace no in in their in it's, and it takes time so, so you're saying you see other probably. fintechs and they are not thinking in those terms they're really in it for what's happening no, no maybe they're thinking more on, on growth that we of course think on that but maybe they're much much more focused on growth just uh, getting users 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 but then we believe this is a business no that of course you need to monetize and of course you need to be or have solid unit economics so you need to be in break even some no and you have to do uh, I, I i believe he shared it with us but he's seen all our business uh, plans uh, um with the COVID, we have like really fast adjust our business model and we have these conservative models or more aggressive models and well you have to be flexible to to adjust to every moment and we are fast on that you can reduce costs you can do many things but 
of course we think on the short term or long term also we we need to think on that can you both just tell me very quickly how COVID has affected your business? In a practical sense, uh, definitely. So working from home means that you're not able to meet with uh, with, uh, with the people from the companies that you've invested in or meet with the people of the companies that you might want to invest in. Actually, I've been having a debate with my colleagues. So is it is it better that everything is at a distance because it keeps you more objective? Because you're, uh, you know, less, you know, less uh, lured into getting along in the enthusiasm of the entrepreneur and say, you know, well, let's give them ben- the benefit of the doubt and we'll invest in them. It's it's not that easy, of course, but there is a certain aspect of, you know, distance maybe is better for objectivity. I don't know. Working as a team remotely has been okay because we know each other already for uh, for quite a long time. So, it, you know, you can keep a lot going when everybody's working remotely, but it's really starting new things. There's so deploying new investments in people that you've never met with, that you've never been able to walk around in their office, for example. You know, you can sense the atmosphere. You can you can take a you can get a sense of a company culture when you're walking around in the company. All of that is not happening right now. The conferences are not happening right now where you meet with other VCs and where you have the coincidental, uh, you know, um, uh, meetings because of you because you meet people at the coffee machine or at drinks. Serendipity, I think you call it in, uh, in English. All of that is not happening right now. Of course, the, the conference are trying to have the, an online version of it, but it's absolutely not the same. So the VC industry has, has, has yeah has been taking a, a much slower pace in my uh, in my sense. Right. For for other arms of ING, it's actually been and and fintech, it's actually been quite good because it's moved everybody online in a much faster pace. But for you, where you really want to press the flesh, as it were, with people, get a sense of people, meet them, look them in the eye. Yeah, right? absolutely. You can't do that now. No. And that's a major part of how you make decisions, it sounds like. Yeah. But at, at, to your point, the irony is that it, this this crisis is a tailwind for digitization. So many of the companies that we have invested in or that we will invest in at some point will also benefit from the fact that more people and more businesses are now used to doing online a lot more, which is what many of them have been playing to already anyway. So there are pros and cons. It's a bit ironic to say. In an ideal world... What else would you like to see happen in this industry in the future? Um, so this is shifting gears maybe a little bit compared to the previous topic. But um, one of the things I would like to see happen is um, a European banking union finally uh, being agreed on. Because um, what we see in the banking landscape, but which is equally affecting fintechs because they are being uh, held to the same standards, is that the um, regulatory landscape in Europe is fragmented. You know, there's a there's a regulatory fence around every country, pretty much. Um, which makes it difficult to build pan-European champions. So in, in, in the US, where the regulatory framework is, yeah, you, you, have, you have, of course, you have state laws, but generally within the entire United States, you can roll out a new company if, if, also if it's in financial services. In Europe, that's not so easy. So you see many domestic champions, uh, and in the big countries, those, those companies can obviously become quite big still, but there's no, there's very few at least clear pan-European champions. And the same is true for the the, the, the traditional banks. And that's, this is a topic that is uh, you know, hotly being debated on, but has not still not landed. And how does this relate to fintech? So in, in, if you want to build a 
pan-European fintech, and particularly if you want to go direct to consumer, you have to play by the same rulebook as the banks. So certainly if you're about to take deposits, but also if you want to be active in payments, um, if you want to offer financial advice to people, you have to uh, you have to play by the rules. But the rules can differ per country and that makes it very difficult certainly if you're a startup and you don't have a big uh, you know big legal department etc to take care of that and you don't have presence in all of these countries to build a pan-european champion there you go a pan-european bank idea using fintech lupine are you are you listening to this do you hear this yes (laughs) i totally agree (laughs) and where would you like to see uh the industry going in about five ten years from now how do you see it Where's, where are we going to well, be? Well, I, I see that branches won't cease. We will use car, no cars. People will have all the information available. They have, will have the freedom to choose. They will receive personalized services with recommendations that thanks, of course, to data and AI. Of course, they will be able to make better informed decisions. And, well, uh, I think uh, banks will become providers and insurance companies of product and the people we will choose what is better for us and this will become a reality no that banks will be providers and because i believe it's not wise always to take the product that your bank offers to you because they are not always the best for you so maybe it's from the other bank maybe from a, a fintech company or maybe it's from from google you know so this is the contest I, I believe is going to be like in five, ten years, and we have a great mission in this context. What are you doing, Lupini? You're taking the whole mystery out of the big <laughs> monolithic bank, providing you things from on high. You're going to make it easy to, you're going to turn banks into things that have to compete with each other properly now. What's going on here? Jan Willem's in the room. He hears you saying these things. <laughs> I know, I know, but we really believe that we, and he knows we want to be active agents in this change, no? Uh, it's We need to be an important part of this change and bringing more transparency and the best possible solutions, allowing the client to choose what is best for them. And yes, and we need to guarantee always the best experience possible. So we want to put the power back into the user's hands. And I don't know if we want, we, were, we will be the winners or it will be Google or uh, our bank or whatever, but what I know is that the user in 10 years' time is going to be here. We people are going to be there, and we are going to have much better solutions to our day, a day and we are going to make much better informed decisions. So You sound very passionate better. about this. Yes, I am. Really, I am. That's what keeps me going. <laughs> Why? Why does it keep you going? Why does it matter to you so much? Well, because I really believe that uh, the people need to have everything like the banks under control the insurance company under control they need to have the power into their hands no it's and this is so so important i i really believe and uh, this is gonna be the future this is what my three kids are gonna experiment no and it's not gonna be like the old banks or insurance company or energy huge companies know that, that right now they have the power no no it's gonna be the other way around and the power in the hands of the consumer jan Willem, what do you think about that 
Um, you know, I'm all in favor because I, I think at the start of this uh, podcast, I said I'm a technology optimist and I, I tend to think that technology is going to make the, the world a better place. And I think, um, yeah, you know, I, I agree with all of what Lupina says. The, 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 the solutions that they've built and, and, and the solutions that many other companies are looking into is um, helping the... Yeah, the, the the user gets in to to get in control rather than the the big companies, and it may sound strange to to you know coming from somebody who's working for a big company, but this is ultimately I think uh, better for everybody involved. Better for everybody, and that brings us to the end of this show. How do you feel, guys? Did we do it okay? I think great. we did. Thank you. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Thanks <laughs> for having us. It was great having you. you. Um, I'd like to thank the both of you. Jan Willem Neunhausen, Managing Director at ING Ventures, and Lupina Inturriaga, CEO and founder of FinTonic. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jan Willem. <laughs> And this was the fourth in our four-part series, Let's Talk Innovation. Let us know if you'd like to see more at bnr.nl slash brandstories slash innovation, where you can also hear the other three shows. And we'd love to hear what you think about those programs, too. In the meantime, thank you all very much for listening. My name was Jonathan Gruber, and have an innovative day.